0: these various handoffs that take place are rife for relapse because they don't know the next treatment team. They don't trust the next provider. And it's our job in primary care to have a seamless transition between different phases of care.
1: Welcome to Review of Systems a podcast featuring conversations about the changing healthcare landscape. From the Harvard Center for Primary Care, I'm Thomas Kim. That was the voice of Dr. Landry Fagan. Uh, Today we're talking with Landry and also Dr. Pat Lee, two former colleagues at the Lynn Community Health Center in Massachusetts, about treating opioid dependency in pregnancy with buprenorphine, which is more commonly known as Suboxone or Subutex. Landry Fagan is a family physician who provides full-spectrum care, including surgical obstetrics. Uh, She's now based out of Boulder, Colorado. And Patrick Lee is the chair of medicine at North Shore Medical Center in Salem, Massachusetts, and assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Uh, We've broken the conversation up into two parts. And in this week's first part, uh, we explore something that I think is uh, really important responding to uh, the dual crisis of the opioid epidemic and of maternal health uh, and mortality in this country um but we're talking about something uh we're talking about doing this in a novel uh, but also simultaneously old school way uh, which is the idea of treating high-risk pregnancy uh, and their newborns in one site in the primary care setting uh, emphasizing continuity of care and that trusted relationship with a family physician. And the way they did this also, the, um, the team-based care model that pulled all of the elements together, uh, is, it really makes an interesting story. So in the second part, which will air next week, we explore more about what it takes to build highly functioning teams. Uh, Pat served as a mentor to me in process improvement and in teaming at Lynn, Uh, So I'm extremely grateful for him to come on the show and to share his insights. Longtime listeners of the show may also remember the Lynn Community Health Center from a previous episode talking about integrated behavioral health and primary care. Uh, And as Landry mentions, this this provides some basis for their project. Both Landry and Pat uh, have recently moved on into new positions outside the Lynn Community Health Center. But since they were instrumental as, as the architects of the program, I invited them on to chat about their work together, uh, building the Sunflower Team over the last three years. Uh, Landry, Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you much.
0: Thank you for having me. Uh,
1: Why don't we start with the basics? Um, What is Sunflower Team and and, uh, what are you trying to accomplish?
0: Sunflower Team came out of a very highly functioning integrated behavioral health program, but the the hole that we saw was that pregnant patients were either having to sit in an addiction waiting room or were getting very fragmented care. And we can go into that more in detail. But the Sunflower team was developed as a full spectrum primary care team, including pregnancy care, prenatal care, um, and as well as care for uh, infants and children. It's a team that has three behavioral health providers as well as four to five physicians on the team, an NP and several behavioral health students that rotate through.
1: I think the only thing I'll add is that um, Sunflower team was a new team at Lynn Community Health Center that was um, conceived as uh, possibly bridging several strong areas of the of the health center. We had a a complex addictions team that was caring for um, some of the,
0: you know, some of the sickest patients
1: um, who had overlapping serious mental illness and addictions, and we had a really good obstetrics team, a really good pediatrics team, and really good family practice team. So we didn't have a team where we did all those things together in one place, um, and, uh, and, and so Sunflower was conceived as a place where we would try and do that. Mm-hmm. So what's the objective here? What are you guys trying to achieve?
0: The the main objective of the of the team is really to destigmatize prenatal care and addiction treatment. Uh, Most of these women have been through various different programs, and what we found is these programs are very fragmented. For our clinic, although we had all of these services before, there weren't addiction treatment um, providers who were comfortable with prenatal care and therefore they were sending these women either to the methadone clinic or to Boston, which is for some patients an insurmountable uh, distance from Lynn, even though it's only about half an hour in the car and there is public transportation. These women were falling through the cracks. Also, we learned over time that various different programs weren't communicating with each other. There's a lot of Maybe misunderstanding about what can be shared across treatment um, programs and residential treatment facilities and the health center weren't really talking to each other. The special care nursery didn't have a direct line of communication. So women were really falling through the cracks and some women who were, who had been doing well prior to pregnancy I really struggled to meet all the requirements of the various programs during pregnancy.
1: Hmm. Now we've had some folks on the show talk about um, uh, opioid disorder and, and the current state of the opioid epidemic and and different health policy measures um, and practice measures that could help with. Uh, intervening on the epidemic, and but in, in terms of pregnancy, we haven't uh, really had much of a discussion on on this show about it. Would you be able to kind of talk us through what the background is here nationally, and 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 Lynn, what were you seeing that uh, made you want to respond with uh, the sunflower team?
0: Sure. There's uh, there's not great uh, statistics, but we uh, suspect there's a there was a Cochrane review uh, looking at how many women who were suffering from substance abuse experienced an unplanned pregnancy. And the estimates are close to 70% of reproductive age women with opiate uh, dependence who had an unplanned pregnancy. While many miscarry and terminate, there are so many pregnancies now affected by opiate addiction in the United States. Some estimates range to 57,000 or more uh, a year. The problem is definitely growing in special care nurseries as well. The withdrawal um, syndrome, NAS, has risen from somewhere um, in the 0.5 to 1 range back in 2000 to more than 15 uh, per thousand in 2013 in certain states like Kentucky where it's uh, very prevalent. These infants really overwhelm the special care nurseries because they last uh, they stay in the special care nursery, though withdrawal syndrome can last up to two months sometimes. And um, we know also this was reviewed in the Crocker review that there's a six-fold increase in pregnancy-related complications uh, with opiate abuse, such as bleeding, low birth weight, uh, fetal distress, and some estimates as high as a 74-fold increase in the risk of SIDS. So, we medication-assisted we're in an epidemic. You've covered it. A lot of people have covered it. And what we've, we feel is that this has to move, this type of treatment has to move out of the hands of specialists. There just aren't enough. Who among us hasn't struggled to find a treatment bed uh, for a patient, either outpatient or inpatient for family medicine or internal medicine? And this care, while we really appreciate the input of the addiction psychiatrists and the addiction-trained OBs, and that input is so valuable, there just aren't enough of them to treat these patients. I think the role of of full-spectrum family medicine is unique in pregnancy in that we can treat patients prior to pregnancy, help them even plan a pregnancy after they've been in recovery, treat them through the pregnancy, and continue to see their infants following delivery. I think even for internal medicine, primary care, we can be there for these patients through these various chapters of their lives. And what patients reflect back um, after their addiction care is that these these various handoffs that take place are a rife for relapse because they don't know the next treatment team. They don't trust the next provider. Uh, there's Uh, lapses in coverage for their medications because of the changing providers. And it's our job in primary care to have a seamless transition between different phases of care.
1: So what are the results so far? Has your theory borne out that uh, more continuity of care would result in in better um, addiction outcomes or pregnancy outcomes or, or newborn outcomes? It's a challenge to,
0: uh, this is a data free zone. I think a lot of people have covered the fact that there's very poor data in recovery, um, but we have close to an 80% sobriety rate with patients who remain engaged in the program. Uh, we have some good statistics on all comers versus patients who are staying engaged, and all comers were still around the national average of 40% of uh, sobriety, which we measure by appropriate urines for what patients are prescribed. It's it's a challenge keeping track, but what we've seen so far is that women who are engaged in the program continue to have over 80% sobriety. We've noticed a trend that a lot of groups have noticed, which is that women maintain sobriety, at much higher rates, even over 90% during pregnancy, particularly towards the end of pregnancy and in the immediate postpartum period. But starting at three months and really peaking around six months, perhaps even to 12 months, these women are at a high risk of relapse. And we're trying to work with the patients who have been successful to help identify triggers and target that six to 12 month time. A lot of women who are highly engaged, they're seeing us weekly during their pregnancy, and that drops off immediately following delivery. So perhaps increasing the frequency of visits and check-ins will help, and that's one thing that the team's working on at this point. And I think data collection is extremely valuable, and I would encourage anyone who starts to do this work to keep track of all these patients. Um, It's very humbling and also... Supports various theories and also helps guide your change in the on the team.
1: Now, I remember when I was working at Lynn uh, in the health center, and and you were ruminating back then on starting a team that provided prenatal care and and did medication assisted treatment for opiate use. Um, and and you have a very compelling story about why. You really felt like Sunflower team uh, was necessary at Lynn. Can can you share that story for the audience? Sure. Um,
0: When I started, Lynn is a very integrated health system. But uh, when I started there to provide prenatal care, to provide addiction treatment, and as well as routine primary care, I had to work on three teams. So spending one day a week on the addiction team, one day a week on the OB clinic, um, and the rest of my time in primary care. And it was—it became clear over time that there were women who were getting shuffled around to these various sites and not able to see the same provider uh, going through the system. And one of our uh, very previously very stable Suboxone patients chose to receive her prenatal care with us and switched to methadone because there was not a system in place to provide Suboxone or Subutex in pregnancy yet. And she uh, went to the methadone clinic and the methadone clinic, many patients report that the methadone clinic escalates dosing in pregnancy towards the end of pregnancy, the belief being that the metabolic rate increases and that women need higher doses of methadone to uh, maintain sobriety. And while I understand the the mechanism there, what we hear from many patients is that they don't have the as much input on what their dose is changed to. And her dose was escalated. Immediately following delivery, your metabolic needs change, your blood volume decreases, and we've seen many women over-sedated on methadone postpartum. Because of the restrictions on methadone prescribing, we are unable to change the dose of methadone in the hospital. And I'm sure internists who, see, who work with hospitalists see this as well, that you, it's sort of binary. You can either continue the dose for addiction or uh, stop it, but you're not allowed to adjust it based on their symptoms. And so many women fear withdrawal and stay on their dose. And she was visiting her baby in the special care nursery and was over-sedated and dropped her infant, uh, causing very significant injury to the child. She lost custody, at least for a time. I'm not sure where it stands now. And she was was devastated. This was the woman who was trying to do everything right, who was following everyone's rules. And that really prompted me to push for this new team the need was clear. These women were sitting in the waiting room sometimes on the addiction, uh, with the addiction team, the complex addiction teams. And, and it was not a safe environment. It was often a toxic environment for them. Other other patients did not appreciate the value of medication-assisted treatment and were verbally abusive to them. And I, would, I have heard many stories from the methadone waiting line needing to go every day while pregnant and being yelled at and screamed at and belittled by other other patients receiving treatment. So it's a very complex uh, way to receive your prenatal care and your addiction treatment. The The OB team supported us through, um, through the development of this team. We uh, get their input, and they most of our patients see the OBGYNs at least once in their pregnancy. We monitor closely for IUGR, although there aren't. Perfectly consistent guidelines about what the standard of care is for um, suboxone in pregnancy. In any event, the the waiting room at Sunflower is a very safe space. We are still 80% routine primary care and see pregnant women who also are not suffering from addiction sometimes. So no one can know by the virtue of where they're sitting, why anyone else is there. It's in keeping with the model of all uh, behavioral health treatment at Lynn that integrated care is much safer. No one, no one knows if they're there if someone else in the waiting room is there for a medical visit or a behavioral health visit, and that really opens the door to treatment and consistent prenatal care.
1: Um, and how did you come up with the name Sunflower Team? <laughs>
0: That's a long saga, but I've taken I, I got a lot of grief for that one, but the uh, team names for the most part at Lynn Community Health Center are colors, and most of the colors had been taken, so they wanted to name our team Yellow team, which I just thought was a little too close to uh, to urine, which we would be collecting quite frequently. So I thought we should go with some sort of you know fancy paint color name, and I threw out sunflower. Um, and here we are but it's really morphed into sort of the growth from an idea of just the seed of an idea to a beautiful sunflower and it was something that was easily translatable to spanish and other languages and and sort of spoke to the mission of the team as well
1: i mean i I, so i see uh you know lots of uh, obstetric providers wanting to respond to the opioid epidemic As as you mentioned, it's just, um, it keeps growing in in pregnancy, and and we're seeing the effects of it um, postpartum and neonatally. And, um, you know, I I see lots of specialists getting involved, uh, MFM teams being formed. Uh, So you should disabuse me of this if if you feel differently. But I, I, being a proud family physician, feel like there's something very, um, something at the core of what is happening on the Sunflower team that fully utilizes a family physician's skills?
0: I think it's great that everyone is responding to this crisis. I certainly appreciate the inputs of the MFM specialists that we refer to, but you wouldn't refer every uh, poorly controlled diabetic to an endocrinologist. We are at epidemic state right now. You hear it in the news every day. Um, this is a crisis. And statistically speaking, it's a crisis that absolutely cannot be filled with specialists. And specialists, much like many aspects of medical care, uh, further fragment fragment care for a patient. And addiction is something that's so common now that it needs to move into the the um, under the umbrella of primary care. It's also some uh, a condition much like diabetes or uh, high blood pressure that has very strong behavioral health uh, components to it. And as primary care physicians, we're uniquely positioned to have that ongoing, lifelong relationship with the patient in and out of recovery. We're not Unlike many sort of chronic pain programs where patients are fearing losing their prescription or quote, quote, being fired from the program uh, for misuse, we are looking to be there for the patient through every stage. Sometimes they need a higher level of care. Some patients need intensive outpatient treatment programs. Sometimes they need inpatient treatment programs, but then we're there for them when they come out. There's no uh, gap in the circle. And I think, as a full spectrum family physician, it's very clear that pregnancy is part of that circle. Um, re- our reproductive lives are part of part of our lives, and we to cut that out uh, with addiction further fragments the overall care of the patient. It's great to get the input of an MFM during the third trimester if you're if you notice there's IUGR or or to weigh in on the timing of delivery for various conditions. Uh, But I think it's unrealistic to think that specialists can fill this void when the opiate crisis is ongoing. And even if there were enough specialists, the fragmentation would not be ideal for many patients.
1: I also feel like there's an opportunity in the the newborn and infant care as well, right, like taking care of Kids, we're seeing them on a you know weekly, monthly basis, and um, Mm -hmm. like like you mentioned, that might not not be as often as uh, you might need for uh, addiction care, but it's um, it's an ongoing relationship with the family, right?
0: It's been that aspect has been amazing. We've had several families, even where the mother has lost custody for a variety of reasons. And the family members continue to bring the children to our team because we know that history. We have a deep understanding of what that child has been through and the families feel safe sharing everything that's going on. And for women who are struggling, it's it's a monthly opportunity in the beginning to still see them if, even if they're not um, following through with all their addiction care, it's an opportunity to see them with their infants, or if they're not showing up with their infants, it's another opportunity to, to intervene. And I think um, that ongoing relationship has been so valuable. Many patients have reflected um, back on that, that they were so relieved they didn't have to retell their story to a new uh, physician, that they didn't have to risk uh, judgment or prejudice at a new clinic. Uh, that they were able to just continue seamlessly with their infant's care. And that when they're struggling, there's just many opportunities to to be that safety net uh, for these patients. I think one point I want to leave everyone with is that while our team development was was fantastic and we had great administrative support, I recognize fully that every team is not... Is not like that and that it's not realistic for a family physician in a busy clinic to necessarily run inclusive warm team meetings all the time. I think the most value that you can add for your patients lives who are suffering from addiction is to treat it and to start prescribing buprenorphine or suboxone to any patient who discloses an addiction. If you don't have integrated behavioral health, you can refer out for, for psychological care, but you should always continue the prescription because we know that patients are dying, waiting for treatment. We know that patients wait for many, many months and relapse many times before they get into treatment. And as primary care, seeing these patients, you're often the first person that they disclose this uh, addiction to, and that you're in this position when a patient's in a vulnerable time, to show them the door to recovery. And prescribing Suboxone by itself saves lives. And we can keep filling in the pieces of integrated behavioral health care. We can keep working on relationships with the hospital, but the overarching goal needs to be to get as many primary care physicians prescribing uh, Suboxone as possible to help uh, address this epidemic.
1: So we're gonna stop here Uh, at this juncture of the conversation for this episode. Uh, But in the next episode, we're going to get Pat Lee a little more involved and we're going to talk more about the lessons of teamwork from Sunflower Team. In the meantime, please uh, don't forget that you can leave us a rating or review on wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to send us suggestions, feedback. You can reach us by email at contact.rospod.org Or you can find us on Twitter at ROS Podcast, on Facebook at Review Systems. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Landry Fagan and Pat Lee.